Indeed, I count it an honor to be here sharing God's word with you. I feel like standing behind this pulpit, I'm standing in big boy's shoes. Would you, uh, before we get started here, I wanted to uh, give you a bit of an overview as to where I'm headed over the next number of weeks. There'll be a break in February and you won't, you won't hear from me. Uh, I have a, a few obligations and I think you have other speakers lined up. Uh, <clears throat> and I wish you would pray for me during that, during that time. As we, as I one, go and bring the gospel to soldiers. And also that, um, uh, we are also having a marriage enrichment weekend with the main Army National Guard, with the main National Guard, actually, it's Air and Army. Uh, would you pray for, for those encounters as well? That'll be coming up the, uh, the weekend following. But while I'm here, I wanted to just give you an overview of where I'm going. We've got, last week we talked about the patterns of God's provision, how that God is with us in the chaos, and that He first sheds light upon our chaos before he begins to order it. God shows us our greatest need before he begins to fill it. And this week we're going to talk about the work of waiting from Genesis chapter 2. And then next week we'll talk about trusting as we wait, trusting in the power of the word of God. And then when I come back in March, we'll, we'll, we'll hit that topic again, trusting, as we wait. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the gospel, the long-awaited gospel. You know, we're not the only ones waiting. <laughs> We've been in a history, the history of mankind is waiting for a deliverer. You know, we wait for one every four years, do we not? <laughs> We wait for a deliverer, one who's going to, as as someone prayed this morning, lead us back to God. Hmm. Oh, that deliverer is coming. But we're probably not going to expect him in the White House or the Blaine House, are we? So the long awaited gospel, the covenant of that gospel. And then Easter Sunday morning, we'll be talking about the promised presence of the king as we wait so if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to, let me see if I can get this thing going right. I said, oh, i got to turn it on. I keep forgetting that. Yeah, thanks. The work of waiting. Now, as you'll notice, I did add a little bit to this passage. Because um, <clears throat> I, I don't know how you can talk about the creation story without talking about what happened. You see, we all, as I said last week, we all live out of a story. We all live out of a story that defines who we are, where we are, how things got so bad, and what is going to be done or what has been done to fix it. That's our story. And it's a story that contradicts every other story in the, that the world will tell us, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So, without further ado, let's get into the Word of God. 
Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, and then I'll dip into uh, chapter 3 for a little bit. Hear the word of God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And skipping down to chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. He said, "Well, So I hid myself because... I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me. She gave me fruit from the of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Lord, show us what it means to be dependent upon you, to wait for your provision. Lord, may our meditation this morning on your word fill us with hope and a desire to see you work amongst us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we talked last week about the original hearers of Genesis. What kind of folks were they? What, uh, what did they hear? What was it that they heard when Moses wrote and read Genesis to them? Well, the first thing they heard was a message that was very contrary to the cultures of the time, the kingdoms, the the neighbors around Israel. They heard that all peoples, every single person is made in the image of God. That was not the message that they heard. 
the message that Israel's neighbors, the message that Israel's captors heard was that only the king, only royalty was the image of God. And everyone else was in, in a caste system, in a, in, a, in a system of either you were, either you were nobility or you were, you were working for the nobility, basically. And that there were certain peoples who became slaves. Another message. Uh, This was a message that Israel's neighbors heard. Another message that comes out of Genesis that God alone fulfills our greatest longings. Another message that we could hear from Genesis and to hear it in their culture would be women are not subservient to men or vice versa. There are cultures across this world, even today, that believe that women are subservient. Women are somehow less than equal to men. And I will say that there is a role that we each play. But it's not a role of subservientism. It is a role of subordination. There's a big difference. There's a big difference, and it's not my purpose to get into that today, maybe another time, but there's a big difference. But the biggest thing that I want us to hear from God's word today, from the book of Genesis, that waiting on God's timing has always been part of being in God's kingdom. Let me say that again. Waiting on God's timing has always been part of being in the kingdom of God. You see, the passage that we first read, Genesis 3, that happened, excuse me, Genesis 2, that happened before Genesis 3. Which means that God has always been one who would show us our greatest need before and draw it out. Make it plain as the nose on your face. And then he fills it. And then he, he fills it in a way that you can only possibly know that it had to be him. So, the message to us this morning is that waiting and working is not a result of sin. We are still called to wait. Southwest Harbor, you're waiting on a pastor. But there's other things we wait on, aren't there? We wait on perfect righteousness. Some of us here are waiting to see whom God would bring to them as a spouse. Perhaps there might be some here this morning that are waiting on reconciliation with a spouse or maybe reconciliation with a child. But whatever it is we're waiting on, we are ultimately waiting on God. And so what I hope and pray for us this morning as we study this passage is that we would restfully work and gratefully wait and be thankful for the promises already fulfilled in the gospel. 
So the work of waiting. Uh, I'm going to do this a little different this morning. These are the, the headings of my slides that are coming up, but it's more or less a walk through the passage. So as you're taking notes, uh, the slides will give you the clues. But I want what I want to do is walk through this passage with you that uh, we're going to talk about the 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 malediction of God. We're going to talk about Adam's work that God called him to do and Adam's discovery, God's solution. The not so happy ending, but God. That's the storyline we're going to follow this morning. So let's jump into it. Number one, God's malediction out of Genesis 2, verse 18. This is the first time in Scripture that we read as we're reading through Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and all the, on and on. This is the first time we read the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. This is the name that God gave to Moses in, Ex, in, excuse me, in Exodus chapter 3. It's the name that God gave to Moses to give to Israel to call upon. Now, those Hebrews that came out of Babylonian captivity and decided that they were never, ever, ever, ever going to go back to captivity again. In fact, they were going to do everything they could to make themselves righteous enough to please God and bring God's blessing to them, decided at one point that we're, we're, not, going to, we're not going to use this name ever again. But this is the name that God gave them to call upon. And what did, what did God do? He said, and as we can read there, thus says the Lord. God said it is not good. It is not desirable for man to be separate, for man to be alone, for man to be, another way you could read that is empty. Far from the single life being the glorious life, it is most certainly not. For being solitary, being, being on an island by yourself is torture. In, they use it as punishment in prisons. They call it solitary confinement. God said, and I believe it, that it is not good for man to be alone. Now notice that this is the first malediction. This is the first not good given to us directly. It is not good. It is not pleasant. It is not desirable. It is not useful. It is not efficient. The man was lonely and empty and God said, this is not good. So what did God do? Well, as we read, he didn't immediately say, "Okay, time to make the woman. No, no, he didn't do that. God, the great story maker, the one who created all there is and called it good, had yet made man 
with an apparent deficiency. How would God fill this need? Well, he would do so by showing man the emptiness and aloneness of his existence. He would show him that the fulfillment is not in work. It's not in doing things. It's not even in doing good things for which he was created, like ruling over the animal kingdom by categorizing and naming the animals. In verse 19, the scripture says that the Lord God created from the ground all the animals of the field and all the flying creatures of the heavens and brought them to Adam. Now, this word brought is the same word that God would use, that Moses would use later on to describe what God did when he brought Eve to Adam. But for now, God brought the animals to the man to see what he would call them. This is the same word here, this call, this naming. This is the same word which describes God's categorizing of creation back in the first chapter. And now God has given man the privilege of allowing him to participate in the ordering of creation. For whatever he called them, that was the creature's name. So what was Adam's job? He was the authoritative, the first one, authoritative biologist. Now, God, the great story maker, the one who created all is good. He had made man with a deficiency. And then he brings animals. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. In Scripture, this seems like it took place in, I don't know, maybe a day, maybe an afternoon. I don't think so. The, according to the California Academy of Sciences, there are, now get this, there are 5,404 families of animals. Now, that's just the families. That's not the individual species of which there are in excess of million. Now, I am not a biologist. I don't play one on TV. And I did not sleep in a Holiday Inn last night. But just do a little math with me here for a minute, would you? 5,404. Let's say, let's say Adam was really efficient. And he could categorize and name and study five families of animals a day. Okay? 5,400 5, and he could do five a day. It would take him just shy of three years to categorize all the animals. Folks, what am I telling you? This didn't happen in an afternoon. I, just me personally, no theology to back this up, I don't think it happened in a week. It took a long time. God was in no hurry to make sure Adam knew what his need was. And folks, think about it for a minute. Think about your own life. I grew up in the Herman Baptist Church. I, re- I, 
you know, had evangelists come and and I was told that I needed to walk the aisle and say the sinner's prayer and then I'd be saved and all these wonderful things would happen. But you know what? <clears throat> that that was a bill of goods that I got sold. It didn't happen that way. And young people, let me tell you, it's not going to happen that way for you either. There's going to be times and trials. You're witnessing one right now in your church. There's going to be times and trials. You're going to fail. But do you know what the righteousness of God is that God is wanting to produce in you? It starts with confession. It starts with a realization that the work God needs to do in my heart is something only he can do. And that's what Adam was discovering here. In verse 19, the scripture says that the Lord created all the animals and he brought them. And Adam's, this was a long process for him of naming the animals. And he realized, you know, what was Adam doing? What was he trying to do? Well, I want to suggest to you that he was conducting job interviews. <laughs> he was he said here at the end and and I know this because at the end of verse 20 he says, "But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him." But he was doing the job that God gave him to do. Folks, God has given you a job. As you wait, as you Trust in him as you contemplate what has gone on before and and where we are now. You see, this kind of reminds me of the creation of the church. This this whole passage where God called out of the world a special people. And Jesus gave to the church the responsibility to organize, to name. Jesus, our new Adam, told his disciples, truly I say to you that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. That's Matthew 18, by the way. He gave the church of the responsibility of going after an erring brother and restore him. This involves, this is both a corporate and an individual responsibility. Making disciples fulfills the creation mandate. And for brothers and sisters, this is how we make disciples. We don't make disciples by leading them, leading them in a sinner's prayer. We make disciples by living life together. Under the word of God, under the conviction of God's word, seeing God's Holy Spirit. Folks, I love that Sunday school lesson this morning where where Ken Sandy's talking about this one reconciliation that took place. Folks, this is how the unbeliever in our midst will say God is there. When. 
when we are vulnerable about our own failings, when we, you know, when we come to a place where where we recognize that I don't need Jesus 50 years ago. I need him this morning. I needed him. I needed him yesterday. I need grace today. I need the blood shed at Calvary today. I need the resurrection power in my heart to transform me and to produce that righteousness that God desires. And it's not done yet. And it's not going to be done tomorrow or next week. Making disciples fulfills the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it by his word in our mouths and in our hearts. We participate in his rule over the earth. Jesus gave this responsibility to his reformed people. So what did Adam discover? Adam discovered this God's right. There was not a helper fit for him. He said it's not good for mankind to be solitary. But listen, I want to I want to make a statement here. Someone within the sound of my voice, I it it just it happens, right? Someone within the sound of my voice has lost a spouse has lost a child has missed out on the blessings of having a spouse or having a child I I, I want you to know this yes God did institute marriage and it is the most complete expression of God's image But what about those who are called one way or another to be single and yet desire to be married? Here's here's God's word to you. You are not outside of his favor. In fact, rejoice for the scripture says, says this in Galatians chapter four, it says this. For it is written, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Here Paul's quoting Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth in singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. In your waiting, do the work that God has assigned you to do. He is the one who brings fulfillment. Listen, Joy and I had an opportunity to meet a uh, special lady who is the leader of Surge's, uh, formerly called World Harvest Mission, Surge's Renewal Team. Her name is Laurel Keel. And in a podcast done by Jim Lovelady uh, called Grace at the Fray, in case you're interested in looking it up, 
he interviews, Jim Lovelady interviews Laurel Keel and talks about her life as a single woman on the mission field. She tells the story of being in Poland, in communist Poland. Laurel's probably probably could be my mother. Uh, So back in communist Poland, she was on the side of a mountain reading this passage, Isaiah 54, and could sense God's spirit saying, this is you. This is going to be you. And she goes, no, she's the testimony she gives is all I ever wanted to do was be married and have lots of children. But 20 years later, she was in Czechoslovakia speaking at a renewal conference with with her organization, Surge, and several Czech young women came up to her and said, You are our only role model. All the women in Czechoslovakia at the time who had once followed Jesus were gone. Communism came in and, and, and they had no examples to follow. Laurel, after that engagement, she, she, her testimony is she prayed, Okay, God, I'm in. So just a story about singleness. It's not the end of the world. So what was God's solution? God's solution was to build a helper for his son. Now, I use the word build because that's the word in the in the Hebrew here. It's not create. It's not formed. It's build. God had a plan. He says, I will make for him a help like but opposite to him. Now, a word about this word help. It is not another word for a slave. It is not another word for an employee, but rather a person who contributes to the fulfillment of a need or a purpose or furtherance of another of an effort. Mankind's purpose was already stated back in chapter 1. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock. Adam realized real quick he needed help, but there was none to be found. Good help he couldn't find. Adam could not do this by himself, and he especially could not fulfill the mandate to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply and, and subdue it. He needed a helper, one who was like but opposite to him. God had made the man, but he was not in and of himself complete. Man needed a helper who was like him, but not like him. He needed someone who was diverse from him. And verse 21 through 23, after the long, long wait, God finally acted. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man and he slept. And he took a rib from his side and shut up the flesh underneath. Then the Lord God built 
with the rib that he had taken out of the man, a woman, and he brought her to the man. Notice that the that man's solution to the great malediction is fulfilled by God alone. Man's need, I should say, is fulfilled by God alone. Not only that, God takes from the core substance of Adam and builds his complement, the one who would help him fulfill his calling. And then notice that God brought her to the man. And this time we get to hear what the man called this special human. And then the man said, reflecting the naming and categorizing that God did in chapter 1, he said this, this one, right here, finally, at last, is bone of my bones and Flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. And just a, just a little language lesson in, in this particular passage. The word Adam, Adam, can also be translated humankind or humanity. It also can be translated ground or red. But here, right here, where where Adam declared that she shall be called woman, for from man she was taken. In the Hebrew, there's two words that are very closely related to each other. One is ish, which means husband or man. And the other is isha. Very closely related. God didn't do this with any other creature. Only with the one that he created in his image. And he had to make them two like but opposite to each other in order to reflect his image. The man called, named the woman. He exercised the authority that God had delegated to him. Yet let us remember that back in chapter 1, God made both man and woman that gave them both the task of ruling and subduing. They were equal as bearers of God's image. Men and women are never more like our covenant-keeping God than when they pledged themselves in covenant to one another in the midst of a sinful world. So we hear Adam's singing over his bride. If only this were the end of the story. Adam and Eve sinned. And then the blame game started. The bride that God had given the God-given helper that he had built for the man out of one of his ribs, the one he sang to when God brought her to him, he quickly threw her under the bus to save himself. And they were both became, they were already naked. They both realized they were naked and were ashamed. 
and then they were expelled from the garden. But God. God once again, later on in Genesis, we read about God putting another man to sleep. Our father Abraham was not part of the covenant ceremony when God obligated himself to take Abraham's curse and his children's curse. On the cross, Jesus alone took the curse. The woman who had helped him could only look on from a distance, Matthew tells us. Helpless as the Son of God suffered in their place. But he did so. Instead of throwing his bride under the bus, instead of blaming her, he said, let her go and take me. And now our Lord Jesus waits for us. He waits at the right hand of the father, as the psalmist says in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, you, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. God is building for his son a bride. That's the, word, that's the language of Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer outside the garden. <clears throat> you have access into the garden. Why? Because the Son of God went under the cherub's knife in our place. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then he goes into building, building language here. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The perfect bride for God's Son is also his temple that he intends to dwell in. And he does, in fact, dwell in each one of us. You, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trusting him daily, and his gospel to be your ultimate comfort and hope in times of trouble and in times of good. He is building you. He is indwelling you, building you together. You are the living stones of this temple. You, in, in, instead of just one stone in the center of the temple, having the law of God written on it, no, no, no. The Spirit is writing His law on your heart. 
being built into a temple. So what is there for us to do? But we wait in hope. Hear the words of Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, the spirit who indwells the bride, the spirit and the bride say, come and let let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Brothers and sisters, we wait in hope by realizing that in and of ourselves, we are not the faithful bride that we are supposed to be, nor the faithful husband. But we are in the process of being built and cleansed by the spirit that dwells in the bride, changing her from glory to glory purifying her for the Son. Brothers and sisters, now we embrace the gospel day by day as we wait. So, our message this morning is waiting. The waiting part is not a result of sin. We are still called for to wait. Whether we're waiting on a pastor or a spouse or an erring child to come to faith in Christ, or whatever it is you're waiting for. Restfully work and be grateful for the gospel promises that promise more than you could ever imagine. Let us pray. Lord, it is for you, it is is for us that these words were written. But it is for you that we are, that you have made us. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price by the good husband, by the good Ish, who instead of throwing his wife in as fodder to protect himself, stands in front of the snake and crushes his head. And you have promised, Lord, that you will crush Satan under the feet of your people. Lord, for all you've done and all you're going to do, we thank you. Bless us now as we go into a time of remembrance, a time of being fed physically as we are fed spiritually by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.